getting the ball rolling here. How would you describe what ordinary Zen is? Ah, uh, well, I like the idea of just being an ordinary human being. Nothing special, nothing added to it, just the way we are. So ordinary to me infers that we don't have to add anything to what we already are. We don't have to take anything away. We just have to recognize what that is. So ordinary Zen was just my way of saying, hey, look, um, I'm not trying to create something special or different or something that you can aspire to and become because my understanding is that we already are all that we're going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of discovery, of awakening, rather than becoming something. Yeah. Mm. Now, how would you say we go about recognizing and discovering this original nature? What is it that we have to do? Or maybe what do we not have to do? <laughs> yeah, so my practice is, of course, it's rooted in uh, Buddhism. It's rooted in Zen. And the original, when Zen first came to China and Bodhidharma uh, expounded it, he said that we shouldn't rely on scriptures, on intellectualization, on words or doctrines, but on this one mind alone. And this is what I refer to in our little talk here in the beginning before we started recording about uh, Buddha's original teaching to Mahasapya, who smiled when Buddha held up a flower. And everyone else was sort of like, huh? What, what, what's this? So asking that question, what is this, is a good place to start. But the smile was this communication of this mind-to-mind -mind direct experience that is beyond words, beyond thought. So I like to say that our practice, our ordinary Zen practice is about getting to know ourselves. And our first obstacle to getting to know ourselves is ourselves. <laughs> oh, the irony. <laughs> yeah. Would you say it's like a sense of uh, false self though? Like a an idealistic self that gets in the way of the, the true uppercase S self? Yes. Yeah, so in, in Buddhism, it's referred to as delusion mm -hmm. or being deluded or uh, afflicted, you know, afflictions. So uh, Buddha's basic teaching was that, you know, life is suffering. You know, you have a body, you have an experience, it's and there's life and death, there's all of this suffering that we go through in our experience here. 
old age, sickness, death. So how to reconcile this, how to resolve this problem? And he says, there, well, there is a solution. And getting back to the original self. Yeah. So what's in the way of that? So we live in what's like, lately I've been calling it a dreamscape. Yeah. It's this manufactured, created reality out of what we think we see as opposed to what we actually, what's actually there. So another thing that I like to say is you already see, you already hear, already see, already hear, before you say, I see, I hear. Mm. So this false self is this sense of self, this ego, this idea of, of I, me, and mine. This idea of I, me, and mine is the original cause of suffering, this identification with the idea of a body, a being, a soul. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Obviously, I'm sitting here with a body. But identification with it or attachment or clinging to, there's something that's added. There's something that you create with your thinking, with your emotions, with your uh, judgments, your rising and falling of experience. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I've certainly been through my therapy and uh, through this experience of loss and grief and I'm on my third marriage, you know, <laughs> I'm just like everybody else. <laughs> I have there. suffered, right? I've had plenty of years of experience of what this is, what this mm -hmm. world is. And through all that, I keep asking the question, well, what is this? What is this? And I keep coming up with seeing my own creation, my, uh, you know, seeing off in the distance a mirage and thinking it's real. Yeah. I keep having that experience over and over and over again, chasing. Mm. And the getting back to original self, there's nothing to chase. You already have it all. Yeah. You know, our original face, our original mind view is like a mirror. It just reflects. After the fact, you're grabbing onto it and trying to make something of it or hold onto it. If it's a particularly beautiful reflection, you want to hold on to it. Mm. If it's an ugly, scary reflection, you don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. So these things that we identify with are not real, actually. Mm. Yeah, because they're temporary. Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. Nonetheless, there's causes and conditions. There's a reason you think of the world the way you do. Causes and conditions, dependent origination. Everything is dependent on everything else. 
So if this happens, that happens. Yeah. You know, getting into sort of the physicality of it all, the the uh, the personal experience of karma. Yeah. You know, past actions having result. Uh, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that? You blame the world, you blame somebody else, or you take responsibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so taking responsibility would be a way to not build karma, or blaming the world is a way to build karma, right? So when you say, is the path really a path that alludes to taking mature responsibility for one's actions so that we don't stay on the train of desire and aversion our entire lives and we kind of we get the message and um build a life of a little less resistance is that the whole idea of this whole thing uh, that's well put mm. so what do you recommend? I know I kind of asked this in the beginning, but what is the uh, the process of this? What does it look like in one's life? You know, is it just slowing down, noticing, meditating a little bit? Um, yeah, yeah. Where do we start? I guess. Yeah. So, because of everybody's, because we're all unique, right? We all have a unique take on what this is. Mm -hmm. So starting from there, from <laughs> supposedly where we're at, we have to gradually or suddenly come to terms with it and deal with it and recognize it for what it is and make the changes that we need to make. So there's all this that has to happen individually for each one of us but it's unique to us. So what I have to do for myself and my life is different than what you need to do, yeah. but yet it is the same. We have mm -hmm. to awaken to our original nature, mm -hmm. which is the same. It's not different. It's pure, it's undefiled. It can't be added to, it can't be taken away from. Sometimes it's referred to as non-duality, mm -hmm. although I like the term one mind, yeah. which is, I think, clearer and more direct experience. Non-duality for me is just duality. It's, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it, it's a word. So anyway, but so is one mind, just a word, <laughs> yeah. depending on how you frame it and mm -hmm. understand it. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. So what is it that you can do I think those of us who are on a path come to it for a very similar reason the way Buddha came to it. It might be different for each one of us, but the, the idea of recognizing that it's not working the way we're going through it now yeah. and something has to change, or our understanding isn't there. We, what is this? It's confusing. The world doesn't seem right. Somehow something is wrong. And usually through our own suffering, our own personal 
uh, you know, dis-ease with life. Uh, we come to this path. And for some of us, it may be one thing, and for others, it's another. So for me, uh, Zen is my practice. And in Zen, the form of meditation that we do is sometimes referred to as just simply sitting. Um, we just watch. We don't try to control anything. We don't try to take anything away. We don't try to improve. We don't try to stop thinking. We just be present to what is right now, just as it is. Mm -hmm. So because we're already Buddhas originally, what drops away is what's not real. So as we sit, thoughts come and go, emotions rise and fall, pains come and go, everything is just rising and falling, rising and falling. And we're not associated with it so strongly. We're not saying, oh, damn, I, I, I need to go to the grocery store and amount of milk or you know, um, my my knee hurts. I, I you know this is really uncomfortable. Or, or gosh, if I just had a good woman in my life, you know, then things would be better. All these things that rise and fall for us, we see them in a different light because we're letting them be rising and falling, and we're not grabbing onto them. So it's a natural process, and for each one of us, it's a little different, but yet it's the same. We, through our meditative practice, we get to know ourselves and we get to understand what's real and what's not and what it really matters. You know, it's, you know, the storms in the teacups. <laughs> you know, we can be really upset about something. It's understandable, but it's not who we are. Yeah. So we stop identifying with these things as though that's who we are. Oh, I'll never get it right. I'm always, I'm always getting it wrong. You know, I just can't do it. That's just something that you're holding on to. It's not who you actually are. But I can't tell you that. Yeah. So in your own self-discovery, you figure it out. Yeah. You know? And the reason we have guides and teachers and and the like is so that, you know. Getting back to Buddha's mind-to-mind -mind transmission, a real teacher is just reflecting. They're not trying to tell you anything. They're not trying to add anything to your life. Mm -hmm. They're very compassionately just being present to what it already is. Mm -hmm. And that is all you need from a teacher. <laughs> yeah. True guidance back home, back to oneself. Right. And it doesn't even have to be a transmission with words. It could just be, like you said, Buddha holding up the flower. As simple as that. I feel as though in real teachings, true teachings, there's something that is so poetic, so beyond logic and rationale, beyond words that 
I'm at a loss for words even trying to explain it. There's just something about a real teaching that just resonates at a level that is uh, deeper than anything, any knowledge that one could take in. You know? One of my favorite words for that is suchness. Suchness. <laughs> yeah. The suchness of some teachings are so apparent. Yeah. And the beauty of it is we can feel the, the suchness through whatever medium, through time and space, whether it's through a book, you know, audio, somebody's presence in a video. I don't know, just some presence in real life. There's just something special about the true Dharma that resides within a realized being and how it's, you know, brought forth to us. There's something very special and just resonant. I think I already said that. Just very resonant about true teachings. And it's unlike any other teaching, too. That's the thing. When I started to get into Dharma, um, I listened to what these teachers and monks were saying. And I'm like, I've never heard anything like this before. And they're using, you know, the same English language that I've used my entire life. But it's just the way that they say it and the conviction in their word. It's not even necessarily what they say, but it's just the, the, trans, the subtle transmission that is in one's word. That yeah. is so special. Something different. That's what I was like. There, what, there's something to this. <laughs> you know, there's something subtly to this Dharma thing that these people are talking about. But um, yeah. yeah. Suchness. Yeah, there is. Suchness. And it's not through words. Mm. Uh, I sat for many years in Germantown, Maryland with a Korean Zen master, uh, Gosan Shin was his name. And lots of times I lived on the property and lots of times in the morning I would go over and sit in the Zendo and it would just be he and I or two or three of us. And when I look back on those years, what I learned most from him was just silence. Mm. It was just sitting. It was just that, that mind to mind experience. Yeah. There was something, like you say, there's something that you can't put into words that's happening. Mm. It's the, because our nature is already pure. It's that. Yeah. It's it's already there. It's like, you know, sometimes it's referred to as unconditional love, great love, the love of the universe. You know, there's so many poetic ways we could try to describe what this is. You know, some people might call it God, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't go there. You know, that's not my way. Yeah. But there's something beyond our understanding intellectually yeah. and, you know, through our physical body experience ordinarily that it's still there. So I like to refer to it as our original face, mm -hmm. our original face before your parents were born. What is your original face? Mm -hmm. And that original face to me, is the same through thousands of years. When I read a sutra from 
1,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago, it rings true right now. Yeah. It's, you know, you can get caught up in the language, you can get caught up in the interpretations, yeah, the you can get caught up in mm -hmm. terminology. There's all kinds of ways you can get caught up in it all. But when you just let it be, your original face is there, it's always been there. And we have these ex funny experiences in our lives where, call them aha moments or whatever, where you have this realization, like you were describing, where, you know, what is this? This is, there's something going on here that is beyond being able to describe it. Yeah. And you have that experience in a moment. Mm. And then, you know, it's gone maybe, it's fleeting, and you're back into your drama, you know, your dream. And then it happens again, you know. And I think in in our particular tradition, there's these 10 ox herding pictures, which are supposed to describe the path. And uh, one of the first pictures is, you know, you're in the weeds, you know, and the, it's the ox herding pictures and the ox represents your mind, the original mind. Mm. So you, you can't find, you know, there's something there, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> you're looking around in the weeds and you're caught, caught in the brambles and you're this and that. And all of a sudden you see some tracks. Oh, there is something here. Uh, you know, another way of referring to that is Bodhi. You know, that's the rising up of starting on the path of recognizing that for me, there's something here. You know, I, I need to pursue this. I need to look deeper, further, find out what is this? You know, and eventually you may get a glimpse of the ox. And eventually you may try to rein it in, but it's very stubborn. It's always trying to get away, run away. You're always trying to pull it in and rein it in and control it. It's just not letting you. <laughs> and it goes on and on like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel as though the most important pivotal step is realizing there is a path and there is an ox. Just that simple taste, that little glimpse into a different way of seeing oneself, the world, the whole universe altogether. Just a simple taste of it is enough to change everyone's life, change my life. That's the most important step uh, is getting that glimpse. How do you say that happens in one's life? A lot of people, I ask the same question pretty much to everybody. Most yeah. people say it's just like grace. It's not really up to us. It just kind of kind of just happens. And then once you get it, you can't lose it. <laughs> you know, not that we, I mean, obviously I'm speaking metaphorically here. Um, yeah. There is nothing, we never lose it. That's the thing. We just lose sight of it. But how do we get the glimpse you know how do we see is is it really not up to any any of us is this is it really just some kind of grace event that happens well the way to find the ox is to stop seeking it mm. Oh. Mm. so seeking externally is what we do yeah and internally waking up to what we already are we have to stop seeking 
I know that sounds <laughs> like a contradiction almost. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, here's the ox. How can I find it? Yeah. But you already have it. Mm. So that's the conundrum you're in. It's the identification with the idea of self that where it all sort of hangs up. Yeah. So it's like, where did it go? <laughs> mm. Now, would you say we're all, whether we know it or not, inadvertently seeking this ox? We're yearning for this ox? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And we chase after wealth and a good relationship. And yeah, like maybe that's things. the ox. Maybe this is the ox, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe this is the big payoff over here. Mm. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it's a bunch of maybes. It's a bunch of ifs. <laughs> oh, so until we realize I, I don't know how to answer. I mean, I, I kind of like sidelined it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to really answer you directly because there is no direct answer to how does that happen? I mean, saying it's grace um, to me infers that there's something coming into the picture, but it's really, a, it's like opening your eyes. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's right in front of you all the time, yeah. but you don't see it. Mm -hmm. So, I don't want to encourage more chasing, you see. Yeah. So I want to encourage waking up. Mm. Would so, you say, um, I'm sorry, did you have something to say? No, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Is that the path of Zen? Is that the, uh, what Zen differentiates itself with is um, like a path of negation? as in not needing to do this or not needing to do that, not, you know, no 10 commandments, no sowing guilt in one's being. It's, um, I don't know. How would you explain what Zen is no. and how it's different from other ways of practice? No, there, there is definitely correct action, mm -hmm. correct thinking, uh, correct livelihood. You know, the, the eightfold path that Buddha represented, it's all there. Mm -hmm. And, the reason, you know, we call the six perfections uh, the path of the bodhisattva. And in the Mahayana Buddhist tradition, which Zen is part of, uh, we say we want to free all sentient beings. We're not going to leave this plane of existence, this uh, experience of suffering until all beings are freed mm -hmm. from suffering. So it's not like we're going to go into a cave and give up all this for our own salvation. Uh, we give up our own, quote, salvation or awakening or enlightenment for the sake of all beings. So what does that mean? It means no, we're not negating anything, actually. We're finding perfection in the unperfect. We're finding the uh, we're finding the beauty in the ugly, mm -hmm. but without 
defining it that way. It's like, Zen isn't about negation. Zen is just about recognizing what this is and how we fool ourselves. So it's all happening at the same time. So th th let's talk about it in terms of um, ultimate truth and relative truth. So the relative truth, you could say, is, um, you know, having to feed the body, having to sleep, having to take care of your life, having to take care of the people in your life, being part of a community, all these things that we do as human beings, none of it is negated or made wrong. But there are ways you can do it that cause less suffering. Mm -hmm. There are ways you can be that are more harmonious. There are ways you can live that eases the, the load, the burden that you're experiencing and that you have. So, you know, there's a balancing thing going on. There's, um, if you, there's a lot of talk in Buddhism about emptiness, okay? Mm -hmm. Saying that, Emptiness refers often, it's, it's talked about as saying that nothing is permanent. So everything, there's no permanent self, there's no permanent table here, there's no permanent you, no permanent me. Nothing is permanent. So that infers that everything is empty of permanence. But if you live in the world of that, it's sort of like, not recognizing that, well, because I'm here, I'm talking to you. If I wasn't here, I wouldn't be talking to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, how can you deny that? You see, it's so reality is reality within reality. It's just all there. It's nothing is missing. Um, so if this is a dream, what's lucid dreaming look like? as opposed to just being, you know, manipulated by your own dream. What is lucid dream? How is that different? So if you're going to refer to Zen as a way of understanding life, then I would say it's more like lucid dreaming, because you know you're dreaming. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> I never heard it put that way before. Mm. So in other words, you know, how do I say, okay, we're we're going to become enlightened, right? And all this is going to be heaven world. Mm -hmm. Well, no, there's no going to be. There's no going to be enlightened. Enlightenment is the realm of your very existence. It's it's what happens when you recognize and wake up to who you are. It's that waking up process. And it's not a escape. It's not someplace you get to, and then all of this goes away. You can be enlightened, you still have to take a dump. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so how hmm. is the path of Zen, um, I guess, more strong suited for being able to see the lucidity of the dream? Like what is uh, the path to this waking up that Zen has in its path that maybe other things don't have? When your mind is clear like space, reflects everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. And just like space, nothing clings to it. Mm -hmm. A bird flies through space, leaves no trace. So all this that I'm talking about, you know, our, our normal everyday experience, it's like that. Yeah. In our original face, in our original mind, it leaves no trace. But it's still, you know, it's we're reflecting it. So the, the mind, the one mind, original mind, is clear like space. So one way you know you're fooling yourself is if it hurts. what hurts it's life altogether yeah <laughs> yeah that's like a message right well of course it hurts right that's the other thing about it, it, it you can't life is suffering mm -hmm. so yeah it hurts mm -hmm. hmm. yeah so there's still always going to be pain though, right? Even the Buddha experiences pain, he experienced pain. So what's different about the enlightened state, the lucid state? How is pain different to the enlightened state to the unenlightened state? I guess is what I'm asking, you know? How is the hurt different? Is there, you know, how when you say it hurts, are you referring to actual the pain? The identification with the pain and the yeah. suffering, yeah. So the pain is just, it's like the bird, right? It just flows. So when you're sitting in meditation, mm -hmm. one of the, I remember sitting in the Zendo when I was first starting to sit, we would sit for 40 minutes. And because I was sitting next to the Zen master, scared shitless to move. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was in so much pain. Mm. It was so painful. I was counting the seconds, minutes. When is this going to be over? Mm. I see. So yeah. eventually, it just became part of the rising and falling. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it I began to appreciate my pain for what it is rather than fight it, want to get away from it, uh live without it. Mm. Yeah. And no longer was is such a burden. It's just like, oh, I have pain. I have pain now. Yeah. 
I see. <laughs> Rather than trying to push it away. Oh, pain. Oh, misery. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, it, it can also be, uh, it's biofeedback. I mean, it's telling you, okay, you need to move or you need to do this or you need, you know, there's something that your body needs or, you know, you don't deny, like I said I, earlier, you don't deny anything. So if there's an intuition that we haven't talked about mm. that comes into this practice, mm -hmm. intuition doesn't come from our thinking mind. Intuition is like wisdom mind. It's like wisdom is beyond our educated. Doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter, you know, how educated you are, how much knowledge you have, how many sutras you read, whatever it has nothing to do with wisdom or intuition. So all this, these things that we use, that we accumulate, to try to be better has nothing to do with the reflection of our wisdom mind and, and experiencing things as they are. So intuition is wonderful when it happens for you, when you recognize something that needs to be handled or taken care of or is affecting how things turn out, or I guess another way to put it is looking at something like a martial art. So if you're practicing martial arts, if there's any sort of idea of self and pain or avoidance, yeah. you're going to get the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. <laughs> You have to be in the moment, which means not identified with all of that. Yeah. So that your intuition and your wisdom can work and whatever needs to happen can. It's like walking. When we walk, do you think I have to walk now? <laughs> you just walk. Yeah. Mm. Where there's smoke, there's fire. It just is. So it's strengthening that mental muscle of natural intuition that we all have so that uh, we do walk the walk and not even just not even just when we're walking in all parts of our life and all the ups and downs and the in the ride of life it just sort of flows there is uh, less resistance to the goings on of our life that's yes. the essence yeah. Life is the martial art. It's the form. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it I is. See. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. Well, you know, I have a practice. I have to keep coming back to it because, you know, otherwise I could, you know, not see what's happening. Mm -hmm. This morning, I go to the beach on Saturday mornings to meditate. And uh, 
This morning on the way there, I lost my way. I forgot where I was for a moment. You know, sometimes when you're driving and you get caught up in your mind and times, you lose space, time, everything. It's like, whoa, <laughs> how did I even get here? Uh -huh. How did I manage to stop at this stop sign? You know, I was like on automatic pilot. And that was such a wake up for me. It was like, oh man, you're still asleep. Wake up. <laughs> you're still dreaming mm. so life is like that you know it'll it'll hopefully in a less painful way than being in an accident you'll wake up before that happens and you <laughs> yeah. recognize that when you're driving you better be like that ninja and and pay attention to all the surroundings and what's happening yeah fortunately it was you know 5 30 in the morning and there was nobody around mm-hmm <laughs> but there's a you know a little wake-up call hey hello mm -hmm. what are you doing <laughs> our life is filled with those yeah yeah and that's not a bad thing i like it yeah i think life is an adventure yeah it's truly burdens you know you know uh, yeah it's it's suffering but it's an adventure also hmm I feel as though that's the big difference is finding the adventure and the suffering. So it's no more woe is me. It's almost like uh, carpe diem. How are we yeah. gonna? How are we gonna work in the essence of the martial art? Like how do we flow with this suffering? Yeah. Know? Amidst the turmoil of our life, how do we work with it? Like, um, like judo. You know, in judo, yeah. you you go with the energy. You use that energy for your benefit. It seems like that seems like that this original mind this intuition is like a judo of our life hmm. interesting yeah yeah what sticks in my head is how you know the essence of what we talked about it hurts it's more of like it's just a different way to approach our suffering a different way to see our suffering is how we i was gonna say escape it but that's not really the right way it's a different way to uh I was also going to say negate it. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. It's just a, I guess, easing the suffering is a different way of seeing the suffering in our life. Would you say yeah. that's the essence of it? Yeah. Seeing ourself? Yeah. Like we said, less attachment to it. Just, oh, there's some pain. Oh, there's some, there's some anger. There's some misery. There it is. Don't become like, I am angry, I am in pain, just, oh, notice, right? So would you say the key is finding equanimity between uh, noticing the pleasure equally as much as we can notice the pain, you know, embracing the suffering as much as we can embrace the good in our life? Would you say mm -hmm. that's kind of the middle way? No, I would say the middle way is... Well, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Um, over 30 years ago, I had a 16-year-old daughter that died in a car accident. Yeah. So as you can imagine, as a parent, that was great suffering. Yeah. So after that event, I was walking. I was living in the D.C. area, and I was walking along this canal along the river, Potomac River, and uh, just walking 
with my grief and my pain and my suffering. And I ask this question, you know, how, how am I supposed to deal with this? And that clear as day, like sunshine, I heard my daughter's voice, letting go is freedom. So I, I think that's it. It's letting go. It's not accepting one way is, and being okay with it and accepting the other way and being okay with that. It's letting go both clinging to the joyful experience and clinging to the sad experience. It's opening the hand and it's like a, it's like compassion, you know, compassion is an open hand to everything as it is, understanding it completely and just, you know, coming back to earlier in our conversation about this one mind, you know, it, it's so beyond words. And so that letting go of words, letting go of them, emotional states. Uh, another story I'll share with you is when I, in terms of suffering and pain, when I was going through my divorce, after this terrible accident, a couple years later, I went through a divorce. And I was living at the Zendo at the time, and I happened across the Zen master going for a walk out on the grounds. And he saw me and I stopped him and I started ranting about, you know, oh, my, my wife, you know, she's just driving me crazy. This is terrible. I'm in so much pain. And, and I, you know, she blah, 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 blah. I was going on and on and on. And he just stood there quietly. And then he said, oh, emotional mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's all it took for me to sort of snap out of it and recognize my attachment, my clinging yeah. to my view, my ideas of how things were, and my emotional state. And that that was just an emotional state. That, you know, I was identifying it as though that was me. I was suffering. Mm -hmm. It's not that I wasn't, you see, but it's the clinging to, it's the... It's the, the freedom of letting go. Ah, oh, now I can breathe, you see. It's like the tension, the anxiety, just kind of like, there's no need for it anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not that I, I wasn't, letting it go is not the same as denial. You know, it's not saying, oh, there's, I, I'm not affected by that. That won't affect me. Yeah. It's just that um, we don't hold on to it. We don't create more suffering out of the suffering, right? Yeah. 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 Hmm. And, and you know, I, I love the analogy of the lotus blossom out of the coming up out of the muck and the mud, deeply rooted in the human experience of suffering. And, and you know, this beautiful flower, pure and perfect, rising up out of that. It's like, you know, let's suppose be some beings in some heaven world don't have this experience of suffering. Mm 
it's all perfect. Every need, every desire, whatever is all men. They don't have enlightenment. They can't. Because you, in order to have enlightenment, you have to suffer. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Yeah. I like to keep in the back of my head the saying from Ram Dass. It says, ah, so. Ah, so. There's also a saying from the book Slaughterhouse Five. I don't know if anyone knows that. So it goes. So it goes. It goes. Yep. It's very Zen. <laughs> so it <Yeah>. goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. It does go. The suchness. <laughs> this is a wonderful talk. I don't even know where to go from here. Quite speechless, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this one. Do you feel like tapping into this one mind, the suchness, the intuitive guidance brings about some kind of will? or you're tapping into some kind of will. I don't even know if will is the right word, but some kind of discernment that leads to different actions in your life that aren't even by you. Like there is some other tethering of your actions that lead you down a different path as in, you know, would we see you as more of a calm person, compassionate person, soft-spoken like is there some kind of way or archetype that an awakened being follows you know you know what i'm getting at i do yeah so we make choices according to our understanding of how things are so your understanding changes your choices change yeah so I, my view of liberation, awakening, is that it is the only answer. Mm. There is nothing else that works. Yeah. You have to awaken in order to really affect things in a positive way, because everything we do otherwise has some sort of karmic uh, repercussion. Mm -hmm. The other night in our, our sangha during the Dharma talk, somebody brought up, you know, the, the horrible state that the world's in and the, the wars and the, what's happening in Palestine and, you know, and how it was so disturbing to him, understandably, of course. And I, and I was saying, you know, that, that is not going to change from this duality of us and them, this and that. You know, and war is cannot solve anything when it comes right down to it. It's, it's not a solution. It's just part of the 
you know, it's it's the suffering, it's the three poisons, the ignorance, greed, anger at work all the time. And so what changes, I think, and what you're asking me is that ignorance, greed, and anger don't have such a hold on you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the awakened heart, mind, greed, ignorance, anger, just don't have a hold on that kind of way of being. Yeah. It, it comes and goes, but it doesn't have a hold on you. It yeah. doesn't control your life. Yeah. So coming from the awakened mind is a different response, would you say? So the anger, greed, and what was the other one? Sorry. Ignorance. Ignorance. And yeah, that's a big one. So the anger, greed, and ignorance are not the captain of the ship. They don't say you should do this or you should do that well they might say that but you there's almost like that intuition allows one to not listen to it and act more wisely more sattvically yes yeah i feel as though that's what's very important that inner discernment so we act in a wise manner so that we don't have war anymore ultimately right i guess that would be a great goal (laughs) Uh, but also not even just war, like actual war, but war within ourselves, right? War oh, within yeah. the mind. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what was happening with my emotional mind example. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when you go through something like a divorce, it's very easy to be blaming and angry. And, yeah, they did this you know, to me. Ignorant mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, it's all her fault. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Where things change. Yeah. People change. And there could be a good reason for two people to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. And it can be done in such a way that doesn't create more suffering, you see, from a more enlightened point of view. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you're really caught up and you're really clinging to some idea of how things are, you're creating more suffering. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially just perpetuating the way things are or the way yes. that you think they are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this loop. That's samsara, essentially. Samsara. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is making a lot of sense. <sighs> wow. Okay. Well, I really appreciate what you do. I appreciate By you. bringing all these various beings, these people into your sphere and uh, putting this on YouTube and sharing it. It's sure. really important work because, you know, we everything has to. Uh, I I liked one of the things that I read not too long ago was about sitting meditation and and you should sit like you're a hen sitting on eggs. And when a hen sits on eggs, it doesn't just sit there, waiting for the eggs to hatch. It turns them, moves them adjusts and is constantly adjusting to helping the eggs to hatch. Mm. So you're like this chicken helping the eggs to hatch because you're constantly <laughs> moving them around. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I've never heard that one before. Uh, I just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, waiting for the eggs to hatch. And the master chicken.
<laughs> I like to think uh, another metaphor is I see myself as this mycelial network connecting all of this, the one mind, if you want to call it, the different viewpoints and perspective of the one mind, which yeah. can be looked at as the different eggs. And uh, if it resonates with somebody, it resonates. If not, then there's, you know, no, no attachments to that. It's just kind yeah. of uh, just throwing it out there. That's my attitude. Just kind of see what happens. <laughs> That's mine too, you know. <laughs> Planting seeds, and if they uh, if they are planted in good soil, then they will grow. I think uh, Jesus said something like that. And, yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. I guess that's the that's the essence of the Dharma. Yeah. If it grows, it grows. Just throwing it out there. Just that's the other thing that's interesting about the Dharma is that uh it's not about Buddhism per se. What do you mean? Well Oh, it's not like just the Buddhist Dharma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not just the Buddhist thing, right? Because mm -hmm. we always put things into categories and yeah. And we end up, you know, defining it. It's either it can't be this if it's that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So you know, like Jesus, for example, you know, there are things about that whole story about of Jesus that I just really love too. Mm -hmm. The lily is of the field is another one. You know, it's so famous that toil not. See the lilies; they toil not. What is that? Let me look that one up. Do you know it off the top of your head? I don't know where that's from exactly, but as, as far as I know, that that's a saying that came from one of Jesus' sermons. See the lilies of the field, they toil not. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure the exact phrase. Da, da, da. Let me see. Oh. It's, uh, it was also Luke twelve twenty seven. Consider how the wildflowers grow; they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. I don't think that's it. Yeah, well, that's very similar. Same, same sort of thing. Like, hey, you know, original nature doesn't toil. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to say the truth is one, and the wise call it by many names. There you go. I like that. Yeah, it's from the Rig Veda. I try to keep that in the back of my mind. Many different fingers to the same moon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> as long as we don't get lost uh, at the finger and think that's the moon. That's all that matters. <laughs> Pointing at the moon. Yep. I'm trying to find the exact quote. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's good, though. Like, it's Luke 12, 27. I already said it. Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Yeah. And I think Solomon is meant to is like, you know, Maya, the illusion, in all of its glory, all of its splendor. It's not dressed as beautifully as the original mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. They don't work. Well, this is wonderful. Um, yeah, I think that's a great note to wrap this up at, to be honest with you. Uh, do you have any last words? Anything you no, want to I say? think I said everything I need to say. Yeah. And probably more than I needed to say. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that all the time. I'm like, oh, what more do I need to say? There's nothing right. to be said, really. 
Oh, here's the actual, it's Matthew 6, 28. Why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Simple as that. Simple as that. Just grow. No toil, no spinning. <laughs> well, hey, Will, uh, this was a wonderful talk. I wish you all the best. Keep doing your thing. I thank you for coming on here. Uh, I don't have anything else to say other than thank you. And uh, yeah, that's it. Keep on keeping on. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. I just noticed that my color is way off and I adjusted my lights and I think yeah. uh, I didn't get it quite right because I look really red and that's not my natural <laughs> color. <laughs> so I think it looks fine. Don't worry about it. That's just the way it is. But, you know, it looks a little strange to me because I'm used to seeing my the, the actual colors of this space. But I move oh. things around mm. for you. And so well, I, I must have messed with the light. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see when you put your hand up. Yeah. It's a little more light. It's okay, though. Hey, it's fine. All yeah. that really matters is the word here. The image is just like uh, secondary, you know, it's just sure. additional. Sure. So really yeah. all that matters is what we say here. And really that doesn't even matter either in the essence of it. <laughs> really. Yeah. Really so you, you discovered me on, on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also have uh, audio podcasts and I have many more of those because it's much easier to edit audio and it's yeah. much easier to post it. So I do two Dharma talks a week and those go out more regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones on YouTube, I try to get them out as much as I can, but it's harder, mm. especially when they're really long and complicated and there's a lot of people and it's like having to edit, I you know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do it less frequent, frequently, but I'm glad you discovered me and it was very nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you as, uh, as well, Will. Uh, it was all thanks to the, uh, the almighty algorithm. Brought us yeah. together. So, yeah, yeah. Thank that. Thank the, the algorithm gods. But um, yeah. Thank you for coming on here. I thank anybody that listened this long. And that's it. Thank you for your time, effort, and wisdom. Peace and Happy love. New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Peace and love to you.